2: All right, so today on the podcast we have uh making his podcast debut, I believe, Mr. Bill Murray, who is a a terrific friend and a intellectual uh sparring partner if you will. And Bill is uh we've we've been pals since uh the, the School of Advanced Military Studies back in 2016-2017. Uh, and Bill is one of those people if you like the things that I've worked on, uh, Bill's the person a lot of times that I've bounced those ideas off of and helped flesh those ideas out. And so I think it's always important to ask, you know like if you if you if you look at somebody and you say, "Oh, I like this person's work, I think it's important to look at who they talk to to help them socialize the ideas beforehand and before it becomes real so the person behind the scenes that helps uh, with that um, for me is bill and so bill i'd like to thank you uh, for coming on the podcast today and uh, i'm looking forward to our conversation
3: yeah amos man like it is so cool to be on your uh, on your podcast And yeah, even like what you're talking about right now, very humbling, right? I don't, I don't view myself that way. I just feel like I'm just having conversations with friends over years. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, just really quick for the audience, right? Like, obviously, uh, I'm a government employee. Uh, what I say doesn't represent the Army or the Department of Defense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pumped to be on your show today, Amos. And to, to all your uh, listeners out there, this is going to go places. So keep listening um, to increase the discourse uh, on strategy, war, and warfare. Um, it's it's going to get better and better.
2: All right, Bill. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, with that, I think, I think a good way to start this conversation is, uh, we're going to talk about strategy today. And I think in many cases, uh, strategy is, uh, incorrectly interpreted and Bill and I have had this conversation many times. And I also think that a lot of folks that, uh, like to, to call themselves strategists probably aren't strategists. Um, but just, uh, people looking to, um, advance their own agenda or stroke their own ego so with that with that in mind uh, Bill how would you rate strategic discourse today yeah
3: so uh, I think starting off right uh, the term strategist and, and you, you said you know how they strategists may be trying to advance their own agenda I think some strategists enjoy just talking about problems and appreciate them right but I think a true strategist they want to change the future right? To our advantage. When I say our advantage, whether that's the United States of America, whether it's the West, whatever country they have in mind, right? It's, it's changing the future to our advantage. And so in my mind, you really have to talk about war and warfare when you're talking about strategists. I don't think you can talk about one without the other. Um, it's really like, you know, the why and, and how argument intertwined. Um, so I think you know right now, what's that discourse look like, right? So I'll talk inside the military right now, uh, and it feels a little bit like a resistance movement and uh, how they would do business, right? So backroom talks, uh, text messages. Some publications will get shared, right? Some podcasts will get around, but it's a lot of small group discussions at low levels, right? Like uh, some majors, lieutenant curls sitting around, a couple colonels will start the conversation, um, but I, I don't see it happening at a high level. Um, and I think it's mainly focused on, on tactics um, and maybe some superficial strategy, right? And you might be saying like, well, what do military leaders need to think about strategy? And I think it matters a lot, right? And understanding why a nation goes to war and how that de- doctrine mm. supports that right um, so it, it, that does tie back into you know where it's at so i think in the military it feels a little bit like an insurgency and i think on the outside of the military i think it's what goes back to what you said i feel like everyone's talking about the same things and advancing their own agendas but they're really not changing mm-hmm. the future to our advantage in any way.
2: Yeah, that's that's fair. I th- one of the rubs that I see also when we when we talk about strategy, and I just one of the things that I think is is uh, missing from the discussion, missing from the from the idea, is the idea that there's a general strategy, and then within that, there's subordinate strategies, right? And so you can have just a general war strategy, but then within that. There's, you know, depending on the type of war that you're in or the layered types of war. So this is one of the common misconceptions about proxy wars. Like proxy wars aren't just a thing all on their own. Most of the time, proxy strategies underlie a general military strategy. And so there's components of sub-strategy within the larger strategy. And that's one of the things I personally think gets lost in the discourse. We often fall back on this easy uh, you know, heuristic strategy is, you know, the balance of ends, ways and means and risk, right? And I think that that's very, very short-sighted. So with all that said, what do you think are alternative patterns that might better explain strategy? Yeah, I think
3: um, it gets a little bit dangerous, like where you're talking ends, ways, means, right? Like that's how I think, you know, a lot of people want it to work out, right? Because it would be really simple if we had that model, right? Like we know what we yeah. want. We'll commit right. the assets to it uh, and press go. And at the end of the day, like we'll get what we want, right? So I think um, when you're looking at any sort of problem, uh, you know, that strategy uh, is trying to answer, I think it's important to ask, you know, like, you know, what am I thinking right now, right? Kind of, uh, you know, when we were at Sam's, Gail Hirsch uh, had that, that mm-hmm. conversation with us, right? So, you know, he said, before you start to think about a problem, it's, in, it's important to think about how you think. Right. So kind of go in and understand what models you want to bring. Right. And then, you know, this may sound scary to some people. Right. But not all problems in this world have solutions. Right. Um, And maybe you can change the future to your advantage, um, but maybe you can make it less advantageous. Right. I think a lot of times, strategists, we go into problems thinking. Oh, if I just do my ends ways and means, I'll get what I want. But we almost need like an oath for strategists that says, don't make the situation worse than it already is. And maybe you measure that in years. Yeah. Um, we've talked before about, you know, the model of looking at, you know, the desired end state and you you put the one thing that you mm-hmm. want to happen and you go to that, you know, maybe as strategists, we need to list out like all the possible contingencies. And when we're talking to political leaders and even higher up in the militaries, yeah, we're going for this one but all these other terrible things may happen in the process and that would probably get people to yeah. question uh you know their ends ways and means
2: yeah that was something that i saw specifically when i was working uh it, it's the j flick the the lane component command for oar for the for operation inherent resolve uh during the uh, battle against isis there we were um you know towards the end of that conflict there was a an election for the Kurdish um, independence uh, referendum that was coming around and there was a referendum coming around on election and um, some of us went and sat and we thought about the problem we're like what are the potential outcomes you know that are associated with this and if you know memory serves correct because I charted it out and I, on a piece of paper uh, or on my whiteboard and then a piece of paper I went to my boss and I was like hey look here's um, And it was like eight potential outcomes based off, you know, changing a variable here, here, here. And one of them was, you know, the government of Iraq invades Kurdistan. And that got completely crushed and killed and turned off as an option uh, that we were even going to entertain as we were moving towards that. And then sure enough, uh, the referendum rolls around and Iraq invades Kurdistan and there's a, you know, a big tank fight um up in up in Erbil and Kirkuk and all that and so it's just it's funny that uh, you know we often side uh, push aside uh, strategic ideas or strategic thinking or outcomes or or potential um ends uh, that we don't like when we think about strategy um and so with that i think uh, it's also important to to stop here and talk about uh, the russia ukraine war um, there's a lot of discourse, uh, certainly going on about that. What do you think is, uh, missing in the dialogue right now?
3: Yeah. Um, I think right now, uh, I think what models people are using might be a little bit off, right? Like you hear about world war one models, uh, you know, we're in this, uh, you know, trench stalemate, um, that, that might not be the right model, right? That might not be the good comparison. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, the French Algerian war, uh, World War One and the Korean War, maybe it's some sort of amalgamation of those, right? So I think understanding where we're at, um I think a good analogy, I know you're a big sports guy, right? A great mm-hmm. um, explanatory model might be two football teams, right? So yeah. um and it's easy to look at Ukraine right now and you know there's a lot of doom and gloom in the news right now, right? But, there's one team out there that has kind of underperformed, right? And there's one team that has lost a lot of valuable players on the team and a lot of you know, valuable equipment. There's another team that, uh, that proved what they had um, pretty early in the game and, and probably punched above their weight. Um, yeah. And that team is only getting stronger as time goes on. And yeah, that, that once really strong team, that's kind of down and out right now, they still have some players on their roster, right? But like, Things have changed, so I think understanding what kind of explanatory model um, matters in in you know in this uh, conflict right now, right? Um, you look at you know negotiations, right? Everyone's going to say I'm a defeatist, right? But like you know, open an office, <laughs> like, you know, get everything out there that you want to talk about, right? Um, people say that Ukraine doesn't have a lot of leverage; they do, right? Um, the West has a lot of uh, leverage as well with Russia and sanctions and you know you get the get the ball rolling and started right um you look at like the algerian war crazy like you know very uh very bloody very um fear honor and interest oriented mm-hmm. and they negotiated right uh, they figured out a solution um you know going down that path like this isn't mince protocol this isn't mince two things have changed the west is supporting yeah. ukraine so you know i think the next round of negotiations would be different um i think the narrative that the West and the you know the U.S. are losing interest in the war, I, I think that's silly. I think people are using that for some political propaganda, right? Um, I was doing the math the other day. Like the average American citizen spends more money on corn chips and potato chips per year than they have <laughs> actually donated, you know, through their taxes given right to the hmm. war in Ukraine. So um, I, I don't. I think too that- love
2: salty snacks, Bill.
3: Yeah. And I, I think that people are using that for political means. I think us supporting Ukraine, the West supporting Ukraine, um, the narrative that's going to go away, I, that's not a thing. Now, its it does get interesting when you look at noise, right? So um, I think right now, Ukraine thinks the noise has to be loud to get international support. Mm. And the West yeah. probably needs that noise turned down to continue supporting, right? So I think that dynamic will probably even out over the next six months or so. And then, you know, militarily, like I said, like, if this is some sort of, uh, you know, stalemate war right now, or we're at a transition point, uh, you know, what we look at for military, you know, everyone's talking about, we need to increase ammo production, right? Well, like, listen, like one, five, five rounds don't make themselves. And that creates, uh, you know, you have to build factories for that stuff. I mean, I think there's other things, right? Like, anti tank mines, like we don't make them in America anymore, but a lot of our partners and allies do make them. Right. So I think there's some things that we could provide Ukraine to kind of, uh, you know, Give them a better uh, you know position uh, on the battlefield and make them a better team uh, compared to their you know the team that they're going up against, and then like economics matters right so oh, yeah. um, there hasn't been a lot in, in the news and it's frustrating there's not a lot of information out there about economics and war. Right, but uh, I've read enough to know like the Civil War and economics was a thing. Right, World War One yeah. economics was a thing. Yeah. So um, I think understanding like the long-term sanctions on Russia, right? And they can get around a lot of sanctions, but you can't get around to all of them, right? And um, yeah. I had a really smart professor when I was at the Asia Pacific Center. Who was economic ge- genius? Tim uh, Tim Brewer was his name, and um, I used to talk about this with him all the time. And uh, you know, he he basically told me like sanctions are like a python, right? Like it's got its lock on you, and it might not hurt, mm. but squeeze over time matters. Um, so I think that dialogue and what that looks like. It'd be interesting to see some smart people out there on economics talk about it, but. You know, economics is a lot like strategy, right? Like a lot of our models aren't great. We can talk past each other, but it is a physical thing.
2: Yeah, I think a big problem with all that too is um, we fall back to various definitions and by various scholars and in various books. Um, But sometimes if you just go to like basic English and use whatever the basic English uh, word is for something... Uh, that helps clear that up. Like for me personally, I, I, I completely agree about the economic factor. And I think that's really where wars are won and lost is economics. Um, and it, the, the goal, I think in every, uh, the goal really should be uh, pushing an adversary to exhaustion and not not in any of these, uh, you know, uh, who's at Delbrook's strategy of exo- exhaustion or any of that, just l- the literal definition of the term, right? Because that triggers, uh, I think, transitions and culmination and if you do it right enough over time, uh, it, it, makes the, it makes an adversary unable, or even yourself potentially, um, unable to continue uh, with what it is you're trying to do militarily. So I think with that, too, um, I personally think that Russia has hit their minimally acceptable outcome. They've got the Donbass, for the most part. They don't have all of Donetsk and all of Luhansk, but they have a pretty good foothold. Uh, they have the, the land bridge to Crimea, and they have Crimea, and so I think that Russia is playing for time, using economics to their advantage, trying to just outkill, you know, kill their way to victory there by just grinding up everything that Ukraine will throw at them on the line. And they've probably built in a buffer on that line, that stalemated line that they're sitting on, uh, knowing that if if and when negotiations come about, they're going to have to cede some territory, and they'll be like, oh, okay, we'll give up these fifty miles, but really, we got what we wanted. And when I've talked recently, uh, I talked to, uh, and and they're on uh, before you, um, so this will sound kind of weird when it comes out, and I'm saying this the way I'm saying it. But when I talked to uh, uh, Franz Stefan Gotti uh, and, and Mike Kaufman, they both said that they think that the Donbass is really the next or is the hot spot right now, and that's the point of contention, and Rush is trying to finish taking up uh, each of those two uh Oblast completely, Donetsk and Luhansk, and that's gonna be their focus. And then once they get that, they're basically set in terms of uh, territorial aspirations in Ukraine um, outside of just you know trying to uh, disrupt their, their political solvency in general. And so I think uh, the question on all that, Bill, is uh, what do you think in terms of uh, where is Russia with what they want and how close are they to, uh, to getting their, their, their long-term goal?
3: Yeah. um, Yeah. Man, if if I knew that, like, I could make millions, right? Um. I yeah. I think it's a it's interesting idea. Um. I think it's important. You know, kind of going back to like explanatory models and you know our views on things, that Russia doesn't view strategy the same way we do. Uh, a great book I read. uh, I forget the author. Like, uh, the book is called Strategia. It's one of those books where like they don't make a lot, and it cost me like seventy five dollars, but. My parents yeah. got me a got me a gift certificate for the books. I'm like, "Man, perfect." I give you know, yeah. a, a gift certificate. I bought that one book for. it. Um, but but Russia does look at a strategy like in the long term. Like they're willing to push on a door and keep pushing and pushing and yeah. pushing and see what what opens up uh, over mm-hmm. time, right? So in I think in the western world we see we view, you know, uh, you know, war's extenuation of politics. I think to Russia, war is an extenuation to opportunity. And so I think they're they're using this opportunity and kind of see how long this goes. Um, I think you know on that terms right, like what does Russia have? I think they'll keep kind of doing this until until you know they're kind of culminated right. You know, has their uh, has their fear of NATO been satisfied? Has their honor been restored? Um, do they have enough interest to satisfy those? I think that that will come into play right, and you know no one can measure that very well. I do think there's something right with Crimea, Donbass, right like. There, there's this idea that those things are also vulnerable, right? So, um, you know, people used to call Spain Napoleon's ulcer, right? Because it just kind of ate away at him over time. He didn't necessarily yeah. want Spain, but he didn't want to give it up. I yeah. think Ukraine could do that with Crimea. Um, and again, like it might not be spectacular, right? But just over time, just chipping it away and making it a place that, you know, Russians don't want to live, That that's mm. also something. Um, so I think that is a bargaining chip when they go to the table, um, and, that, you know, when when peace agreements do go in, like, you know, maybe it's, hey, you can't harass, you know, Crimea or start the war again. But I think that's something that has to be looked at. Or, you know, eventually, if you know, re- Ukraine takes it years and years from now, how that gets negotiated. I just being a realist, I just don't understand how it would get taken anytime soon. Not saying it couldn't. But yeah, no time soon.
0: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
2: I think Russia's digging in for the long fight there and they're just, they're, they're happy to grind away their own people. And they're more than happy to grind away the Ukrainian forces. Uh, and I think what they're really, you know, not trying to coin a phrase here, but they're trying to normalize abnormality right out yeah. there. They're going to try and keep that. Um, and, and it's like, you saw this with Crimea when they took it, right? Uh, what was it? 2019 uh, Apple uh, maps changed yeah. the, the the state ownership of Crimea to Russia you know and so they're trying to just play the long game to where everybody's like oh, okay you know that really is part of Russia now and yeah. so I think that that's why uh, I my thought personally I don't think there's going to be any kind of grandiose big push to Kharkiv or uh, certainly not Kiev um, you know I think they're just going to hunker down and try and grind away what they can
3: Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting with Crimea, right? Because, I mean, I know it's a much smaller scale, but all I can think about is the French in Dien Bien Phu, right? Like, they Mm -hmm. have these firebases, it's a strategic place they want to be, and the Vietnamese are basically like, yeah, you can take it, but we'll just harass you so much and eventually destroy you, right? And again, like, again, Dien Bien Phu is so much smaller than the Crimea Peninsula, but if you look at that scale, like, they can just make it painful to own, where you're like, why do I have this?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. All right, so uh transitioning back to the discussion of strategy yeah what 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 is a strategist is it just a career coding uh, uh or uh, an aspirational aspirational career change is it somebody that just uh, puts the feather in their hat and walks around or is there something more to it what is the characteristics of somebody that is a a strategist if you will
3: yeah um that's a great question i i don't think it's something that you transition to right i think it's something that it's got to be a natural part of you of who you are um you know i was lucky to be raised by um a mom and dad my parents are great people but it was just me i'm an only child right so super curious love debate right because if everyone at my my uh you know dining table got along well that wasn't an entertaining night for bill murray right so like <laughs> i gotta get some discourse in there i gotta argue with my parents um I was devil's advocate i still am to this day because it, it makes yeah. things interesting right so i think you you have to be curious uh to be yeah. a strategist right um and, you know, going back to things that we've talked about in the past, like you've got to, you've got to be deeply concerned about the, you know, the, the country or organizations you're in that, you know, good isn't good enough, right? Like, I, you know, I'm terrified every day that the army is going to get its butt kicked. The US is going to get its butt kicked in the next war, right? So I think about ways to devise what I'm working on and influence higher to make sure that, that we're always ready for what we need to be, right? Um, but there has to be discourse, right? Like there, there has to be an, you know, I think the military might be a bad structure for it because rank can't really matter. It has to, you know, bring the right discussions and ideas to the table. And sometimes that rank structure doesn't work in the army. I had, I had a really good general one time who told me the best thing that he ever did was a general was realize he's not the smartest person in the room, but it was his job to get the smartest person in the room to talk. And there yeah. is, there is some genius to that. Um, you know, kind of going what you're talking about, you know, the, the traits, right? You have to be, uh, you have to be a very logical thinker. And I, I think, you know, the way we school, uh, you know, people up in the military doesn't really do that well, right? Like philosophy is a great thing to get into if you want to be a strategist, right? Cause mm-hmm. you know, philosophy is about the, the search for truth. And I think yeah. being a strategist, you're trying to do that as well. I think a lot of times in our society, especially in our army as well, like we get on a rhetoric, Right, like you and me are debating, I think my point's the best, I'm gonna get louder, make fun of your points, right? And I win, right? There has to be a dialectic, a back and forth, where the goal of our conversation is to find out the truth, right? Is our is our strategy the right strategy, right? Uh, is our doctrine meeting emerging requirements on the battlefield? Is our re- doctrine answering old problems, right? So I think understanding that logic uh, is important. Um, I think explanatory models are amazing and terrible. Like I am, yeah. I am I'm I'm kind of done with this idea that some of our explanatory models are divine. Like, you know, you talked <laughs> about ends, ways and means, like that's not the case. That is not true at all, or else we'd have won every war we ever use that for, right? Yeah. Another one is like war is an extenuation of politics like I think as military leaders we want to say that right so yeah. we're telling the politicians like oh just tell me what you want and I'll do it like no man like things change very quickly like war is war can be its own thing right yep. that creates opportunities um, we talk all the time when, when you know is it is it related to you know um, politics or is it much more closely related to fear and honor yeah. backed up with some interest, right? So I think yeah. understanding the, explore, the explanatory models that you're using and questioning them uh, is also important uh, when it comes down to strategy.
2: Yeah. I think it's uh, another thing too, when we think about that is um, John Keegan. And I know a lot of people hate this, this book and his idea, um, but I think it's valuable. I think it's very valuable. In fact, I brought it up in Sam's class one day. and' am a huge Keegan guy.
3: I mean, huge. Yeah, key answer, yeah. His,
2: his argument that uh, war is a continuation of culture and not nece- and not necessarily politics, and so it's that branch where he he sharply disagrees with Clausewitz, and the Clausewitzians come down hard, and they're like, "Well, oh, he's wrong." You're know, like, well, why is he wrong? And he's like, oh, because Clausewitz says this. I'm like, Clausewitz was watching the and he was writing about <laughs> 18th and uh, 19th century uh, European war. You know, so it's uh, bigger and broader than that. I think in a lot of cases, you, again, to your point, we mis- we have uh, mental models that help us quickly work through a process. Um, but strategists shouldn't be about working through processes and just applying existing mental models. The other thing I want to comment on this before we move on is yeah. that uh, I think it's important to realize and to understand that questions, curious people, people interested in arguing about ideas, those people are not dangerous. Those people are not disloyal. Those people are not folks <laughs> that don't that don't get it. Yeah. They, as you said, they genuinely care with a burning desire to improve their organization. But in many cases, you see folks that uh, that engage in that type of uh strategic uh thinking and strategic dialogue get uh get smacked down ostracized and pushed aside and so that's to your point it's important for the for those leaders to find those individuals and uh, protect them it's also i think uh worth noting that you know the 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 best i'm using air quotes the best strategist you may have around may not be a person that's interested in talking and so it's incumbent on you to go seek out people that aren't talking and say hey what do you think about this you know and do it in a way that uh that meets their personality right so if somebody's introverted doesn't like groups uh anything like that like just go sit down with them in a quiet corner and like talk about things right and so there's many ways that you can you can tap into this idea and it's important to uh to keep that in mind
3: yeah like i was like i was telling you right like that, that general told me like that you know the what made him successful was you know, he realized he's rarely the smartest person in the room, but his job was to get the smartest person to talk. So I think that gets at exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, I have notes on this topic, right? So I wrote down, right, you know, you have to be a nonconformist to be a good strategist because you're kind of questioning stuff, right? Like you're not a cynic, You're just, you're just asking tough questions, right? And, and and most of the time, like those, those people piss other people off. They can hurt Mm -hmm. your ego, right? If you're tied to that doctrine or that idea.
2: Yeah, you Um, view it as an attack on your self identity when it's, when it's really not.
3: Yeah. And I think you're, you're right. Like having the right leaders, right? I had a discussion with my boss uh, a couple months ago, um, kind of on these same lines, right? He knew I was trying to make the organization better. And he's like, Bill, I bet you've pissed a lot of people in your career off. Yeah. And he's, he's probably right. Right. Like I, I'm not trying to pay, make people mad, but I'm trying yeah. to make the organization and the army better along the way. Um, yeah. and again, like, you know, me, like, uh, I'm not gonna say my humble is the humblest, right? But like I'll sit in the corner and listen. Right. Um, and do what I need to do and take care of business, but but at the end of the day, like I'm not going to let my organization fail either.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, and I think that's what a good strategist does too. You know, they they stand up and defend their people, their organization, and they try and continually improve things. All right. So the last uh, the last uh, meaty question here: uh, military thinking. Uh, where is it? What What do you think? Give me your assessment of the state of military thinking today. And a second, a second point on that, or a second part of that question is where have all the military theorists gone?
3: Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, that question goes back to a lot like, you know, what makes a good strategist, right? Um, I think right now, you know, we have curriculum, at least across the military, where we create uh, kind of the same model of person, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, you go to the basic course, career course. Um, you know, you go to CGSC and then, you know, having friends that have been the war college have told me, right? Like, yeah, I mean, they, they talk about, they talk about a lot of great strategists. They, they talk about a lot of explanatory models, but it's kind of the same thing, right? You know, um, so if, you know, if, if you and I go to the same school to learn the same things, we're gonna have the same ideas, right? So yeah. I think some sort of introduction, you know, into those institutions, um, with just some very simple things like, you know, philosophy. There's so many good ideas out there, you start questioning stuff. You know, some basic psychology along the way. I mean, I think psychology and warfare make a lot of sense, right? You know, you and I talk about, everyone's got the crazy Hitler theory, right? Of World War II, um, but he was acting out of fear and honor, right? Germany yeah. was acting out of fear and honor. It wasn't a crazy man, uh, even though the stuff he did, like obviously was terrible and ridiculous, but like in his yeah. own realm, like uh, that's psychologically a fear and honor matter, right? And then even sociology, how groups act and behave, kind of going back to what you're talking about with Keegan, where, you know, war is an extenuation of culture, like that. that stuff matters. And if we don't understand how that ties into our warfare, like, that's a problem, right? So I think introducing some new ideas, some fresh concepts uh, into those institutions does that, right? And, you know, not not to play up Sam's, you know, a phenomenal school, but I thought they did that well, right? Yeah. I, I never read any like sociology, to be honest with you, um, until I went there and, and really like the magic of Sam's is the curriculum that gets like smart people talking, right? Yeah. Um, in in a group, um, the curriculum is 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 I think dedicated to that. So I think the more you can get people in a room uh, questioning what's going on, matters. And I you know appreciation is great. But how do you advance that appreciation? Right. I think you know a lot of the papers that you're written uh, has helped that. Right. I think you know I told you that here you know here in in, in my unit over in Germany we're using your you know in two CR we're, we're using your move strike protect. Right uh, structure, and I, you know, I know you're rewriting something that uh, Robert Leonard wrote, that that Littlehart yeah. wrote about a long time ago. But even bringing back some of these old explanatory models, it's so much more helpful than just thinking about war uh, like a football game of offense and defense. Right, when you think yeah. about moving and striking and protecting yourself in different formations, um, that that's very helpful. So I think you know anything we bring into the army. Um, outside of the norm that shows benefit, right, um, matters. And I think, you know, this idea, and I had it written down, let me find it really quick, right, like the, the army needs leaders who can theorize when faced with new problems, right? Robert Leonard said that, right? Mm. Uh, and doctrine was created to solve old, old problems, okay? Yeah. So like, just like we were talking about, how are we as an army, you know, developing le- uh, leaders that can theorize when faced with new problems, right? I think I think we're missing that
2: yeah yeah i agree 100 percent. i think it's a uh, a lot of that's been institutionalized to the point that it's it's it, it no longer exists and it's uh apply you know apply the process don't deviate too far from doctrine we're going to incrementally improve on airland battle which is you know a 30 to 40 what is it 40 year old doctrine almost you know and uh we're just gonna tweak that on the margins slap a new sexy name on it and you know call it call it a new thing
3: yeah I and, and just you, really quick just really quick yeah. on that right like yeah, I think we need I think we need to develop new doctrine like now like right now, yeah. right? So I, I just did a, a battle staff ride with my uh, squadron's leadership uh, to, to Eben Emmel, right? So like major fort, uh, the Germans had to capture it, you know, in order to, to can, continue their invasion of Belgium, Netherlands and France. Right. And so like they were changing their doctrine like
2: on the fly, on the yeah. fly,
3: by the month figuring out what emerging technology was out there and matching it up and, and just moving out. Right. And, um, I don't, I read it somewhere. I may have been, you told me like, how, what would you do if you knew you're going to go to war a year from now, you know, how would all of our military schools, what would they be thinking? And and let's do that now.
2: Uh, So with that, uh, I think we're, we're running close on time here, Bill. So I just want to get what your thought is on the, uh, on the, The worst hot takes floating around uh, the universe right now as it pertains to armed conflict.
3: Oh, yeah. The worst hot takes right now. Like, um, you know, you know, you know, uh, I'm a fan of drones, but they're not the future, right? Like they're going to be on the battlefield and we're already seeing in the Russo-Ukrainian War, right? Like there's ways to for EW to interfere with that. Um, I think it's going to be a tool, but it's not the answer. Um, Yeah. You know there was footage coming out when you were over in iraq right with like insurgents you know isis using drones against you know iraqi and and american forces and if only we had paid attention right like if only we would have thought through that problem um so yeah that's out there i'll also say like you know technology is not going to save the day um and you know you were talking about war being an extenuation of culture like you know obviously the western american culture is very focused on emerging technology to make our lives better um that, that's not going to do it, right? So I think we need to innovate technology um, at the same rate we innovate doctrine, uh, and it needs to be quickly. Um, I, you okay. know, I, I don't see any innovative doctrine out there to kind of keep up with that. Um, so for all the people out there that the, you know, the next expensive tool is going to save the day, it's going to be really expensive, and we're probably not going to have as many as we want of them. But advancing uh, your, your, your doctrine is going to make us better.
2: Yeah, I think that that's uh, the doctrine piece is incredibly important. I think uh, if you if you pop the hood and look under the hood uh, at the engine on the uh, the doctrine process, uh, there's a lot of problems within there structurally that are that are getting in the way of that, too. And so, um, you know, promoting promoting people that have been around for a long time because they've been around for a long time and, and, and pinning the rows on them to do um you know the the heavy lifting and the big thinking that for the future i don't know that that's the right approach you probably need to enlist some uh like you said some people from the social sciences you know some people from all sorts of different fields some younger folks uh to help get a fresh look on things because if we're, we're trying to pat our back on doctrine that came out 40 years ago and just improving that on the margins and saying this is the future i think we're probably missing the mark so that was a yeah. uh, that's that I, I agree with you there so with that, Bill, I'd just like to uh, thank you for coming on. As always, it's been a pleasure to, uh, to chat with you. It's, it's good to see you in uh, digital face-to-face since we normally spend most of our time texting with one another. But thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll have you on again here sometime in the future.
3: Yeah, Amos, really appreciate it. Um, obviously, I've enjoyed our conversations uh, for years now about the topic. Um, I know we deeply, you know, we deeply care about the the military advancing in the future and doing amazing things. And just for everyone out there, um, if you want to continue a little bit of the discourse, right, um, I'm I'm at dapper408 uh, on Twitter. We can talk, or the former Twitter, right? We can talk more about this. I'm gonna post one little question a week, and I hope to get some discourse going, right? And maybe we can turn the insurgency into like a little bit bigger. Um, um, but yeah, love to get some more conversations going. Um, and also, you know, if you want to learn about you know how a brigade combat team uses like a move, strike, protect uh, concept, which I completely stole from Amos Fox, right? Um, we're going to be pu- we're going to be uh, publishing some uh, you know white papers on how to make that happen, and I'll, I'll put that up on my uh, Twitter handle as well.
2: And as Bill said, I stole that from Robert Leonard, who stole it from JFC Fuller, who probably stole it from somewhere, but he never footnoted anything he wrote, so who knows. <laughs>
3: yeah, definitely not a dead not definitely not a dead German that he stole it from.
2: <laughs> definitely not. All right, Bill, thanks. We'll talk again soon.
3: Thanks, Amos. You take it easy, man.
2: Yep.